Hello listeners and lovers of learning and welcome to episode 74B of the Education Research Reading Room, the podcast that brings you into the discussion with inspiring educators and education researchers. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wandari, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. This is part B with Josh Goodrich, in which Josh coaches me using the StepLab instructional coaching approach. For context, prior to this first coaching conversation, I had sent Josh a video on one of my maths lessons. He'd watched it, and this coaching conversation follows. I had no idea what the focus would be, so I was going into this coaching conversation just as curious as you hopefully are too. Also worth mentioning is that within my email to Josh, including the video, I also admitted that I wasn't super happy with the lesson, so you'll hear reference to that at the beginning of this chat too. Without further ado, let's jump straight into episode 74B of the ERRR podcast with Josh Goodrich. Well, before we, we crack in, I, I wanted to dig in a little bit to, so you sent me an email with this video in it, and in the email, you said that you weren't super happy with some aspects of the lesson, which, you know, I was a bit surprised about after I watched it back. So I just wanted to ask a little bit, like, more, for more detail, like, what was it that you were unhappy about, or what was it that you didn't feel went that well? Yeah, so probably what did go well something something i've been focusing on um since i visited the uk is like circulation like trying to be efficient with my circulation and trying to use that well to diagnose what students are understanding what they're not understanding so i don't have to go through all the answers to the starter i just pick a couple of questions and do that well so that's, I, I feel like that's been going well i would be interested you may or may not think the same but then transitioning into the conceptual development for the lesson we were looking at population versus sample. The topic is statistics for listeners, population versus sample. And I was trying to help the students understand, you know, population, a sample is a, a group selected from the population and that sample can be biased or it can be random and representative. And I kind of wanted them to come up with some examples. And it was just, it was just really messy. Like I, I probably should have chucked some pair shares. Actually, I did throw a pair share in there, I think. Maybe a pair share earlier. Maybe I needed to give them some more some more bulletproof definitions early on. Like it was a bit underplanned. It was a bit underbaked essentially. And, you know, our kids were drifting off. You could only see the backs of their heads. I could see the front of their heads. So, <laughs> that's that's um, that's um that was the general feeling there. Okay. All right. Well, and I think you also mentioned that like there were aspects of the, of like the start and the entry routine, which you, which you didn't think were perfect. Yeah, yeah. So the energy of the boys when they entered, it was unsettled. And that was actually also partly because of me recording. So I'd recorded them at like three times before this because for some other things that, that we were doing internally at school. But that all they two actually three of them came into me while into the room while I was setting up the video camera and said, "Sir, why are you recording?" <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Blah blah blah. You know, have you asked for my permission? Blah blah blah. I had to explain that part of the sign up process of the school, their parents did give permission, and um, I had a list of students who hadn't given permission, and so on and so forth. But they were just unsettled and they were a bit like a bit antsy. And I think because they had me on the back foot a little bit on the recording thing, I didn't actually make them all come out go out and come in again, though I did it with about three or four boys. But actually the the energy was sufficient that I should have just taken them all back out and said, gentlemen, let's settle down. That was my assessment anyway. Yeah. So that's the bit like, that's the comment when I, when I looked at your email, which like I found, you mean, I think surprised me. I mean, you're right. The class were legitimately like quite surprised as students normally are by having a camera set up in the back. But the main thing I noticed was that, Three about three minutes in 
to the lesson, like as in three minutes into the footage, so a little bit less into the lesson, you had every single student in and not like just doing a bit of work, but I would call it fully locked into doing their do now quiz, like complete pin drop silence, all heads like, like, you know, bent over their books, every single pen moving, you know, and that's with a really unsettling big camera filming in the back of the room. And I think you did that through doing two, two things I really noticed, which I thought were great. One is your really firm use of do it again, not negative, like really positively framed. And my second is just loads of quiet, positive narration, especially at first, while they were getting settled. What I felt were just super effective in getting an unsettled class who were legitimately a bit concerned into being completely locked in. So I wanted to ask, how is it that you built such a strong culture around the quiz at the start of your lesson? Because I think it's like, it really impressed me. Thanks, Josh. That's nice of you to say. Firstly, back to the original thing, which is, I agree. I think they did settle quite well because of the routine that, that that we've built together. But I think that the energy kind of bubbled back out after that initial period. So, and and I couldn't actually get them back like I usually can in that lesson. And so that was a bit, a bit frustrating. That was where the frustration lay for me. Um, how have I, have I built that routine? Something that's been really helpful actually is just talking to other people about it. Like I've, I recently ran a behavior management, a practical classroom management course. And I was just talking about that for like four weeks in a row showing video for my class and so on and so forth. I've been talking to my colleague, Dr. Mark Daly, about this like all year about like strong starts and stuff like that. And you've actually, you've been privy to a couple of our, our chats, Josh, and also seeing it in the UK and seeing how well it's done in a lot of schools and realizing how focused students can be right at the start of the lesson. It's just made me go, uh, why can't I do this in my own classroom and, and being consistent with the boys, make them do it again. And just, you know, pass this perch, all these, all these good things. Um, but yeah, thanks, thanks for saying it. It's nice for you to say. Oh, no worries. No worries. Okay. So, so, so at the start of this, you mentioned like circulation, which like is one of my absolute favorite, you know, my favorite like teaching techniques, particularly when I have students in my classes doing the do now as well. So I really, I wanted to, to dig into that aspect. So I just want you to tell me about your circulation routine during the do now. Like what, you know, what's it for? you know, that kind of thing. So I have a route. I stick to that route through the classroom. The route takes me to the, some of the boys who struggle the most first. And that means, and usually I get through that route about one and a half times. So I see the boys who struggle twice during that do now. And I see some of the boys who don't struggle quite as much at least once. And I'm using it diagnostically. I have the solutions in my hand. I'm actually marking their results. I'm using it diagnostically. Uh, and I'm trying, I'm, Picking, identifying the questions they're struggling most, most with and then I'm thinking about how I'm going to address the class at the end of the 10 to 15 minutes and what I'm going to do. And ideally, that will be a bit of exposition, say most, lots of you struggle with this question, here's what you should have done instead or here's the concept or here's how we do it and then give them at least one similar question ideally with mini whiteboards. I don't know if I don't recall if I did that in the video that I sent you but when that's working well, it's a nice, sharp mini whiteboard routine as well. I think that was a bit sloppy in that one. That's that's it. Yeah, so we covered, so I think, you, you know, that's that's a great answer. Like you've, you've covered, so the purpose is essentially it's diagnostic. The idea is you're pulling out um, some main themes of stuff that's getting wrong for you to deal with at the start. So did you get around to every student in the lesson that we that you sent to me today? 
I believe I got around to every student in every class in the last couple of weeks. So I would say yes. I will, also, I will note that there were two boys down the front who were do, doing computer work who I wouldn't have gone to during that time because they're on a kind of modified program. So I didn't check them during circulation, but I may not have got to all of the other students, but I believe I did. Okay, so I counted how many students in the class? Probably 18 that day. Okay, so I counted 13 that you'd got to in the in the, about the six or seven minutes you were doing it. So I wanted to dig into, next question on this is what kind of errors? So as you were going around, you were giving students a little bit of feedback around errors they were specifically making. And you may not remember, this might have been a, a little while ago that you filmed this. Do you remember the kind of errors they were making? I can't remember. I, f- I probably can track down the lesson plan here, but... Uh, no, don't worry, man. It's, I, I tell you what, it might be useful. So I'm, I've noted down everything you said in terms of feedback, and I'm going to read them out to you. Okay, that'd be helpful. So you said to the first student, I can't confirm if this is right until you do some working. Absolutely love that, by the way. It's like pushing the thinking onto the lad. Beaut. Uh, you said, have another look at this. Uh, this is the second one. You can answer this with common sense. Uh-huh. The third one, can you have a look at your notes about, the la- about labeling? Mm-hmm. The fourth one, can you get back into your notes and have a look at this one about labeling? Mm-hmm. The fifth, workings, workings. I'm assuming you wanted him to do to do, show his working out. Mm-hmm. He got that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sixth, there's one big mistake. Look back at your notes. The seventh, whenever you see a range like that, you put the labels at the edges. Yep. Yep. The eighth, almost there, your labels are incorrect. Yep. And then on the ninth, you showed your labeling on your exemplar, and you said, "Do you see the difference?" Mm. So here's my question. Do you see a theme around the kind of feedback you're having to give these students? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was all, well, apart from the you can use common sense one, it was all around the the histogram labelling thing, which was the second time because I'd taught them, that's why I said go back to your notes, one or two lessons before. In the do now, I picked up they were doing this all wrong. They were all doing it, the majority of them were doing it wrong. And I showed them we had a quick, correctly label histogram. And so I was like, guys, I told you, go back to your notes or think about it or... And you can see I got, le- I got more and more directive as I went around and I saw the pattern. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, this is like a whole class thing. And then you, you realized you were going to stop and do a bit more work on labeling when you did the whole class feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you notice about those, like how you phrased the feedback to those students? Anything, anything that jumps out? Actually, I, I don't know if this is a good thing to say, but I felt quite proud and this would be hilarious if you say you did a horrendous job oh, please slap me in the face with that <laughs> but but i i actually felt quite proud of what you reading that back because i thought there were some quality questions in there like do you see the difference that's like prompting questions like direct them back to their notes i mean that first one you read out i can't remember what it was now but what was the first one i can't confirm if this is right until you do some of your work until you show your workings out yeah that kind of thing yeah so, I thought that was, so yeah i think i think they were quite nice nudges essentially. Oh, 100%, man. Like the whole of your circulation routine, I just really, really enjoyed watching it. You're pushing the thinking back onto the students. You're holding them to account for doing a great job, like as in for doing like not a lazy slapdash job. You're never just telling them the answer and getting them to write it down, which is quite easy to do. Oh, this is, you know, oh, it was meant to be 16, copy it down. You're pushing the thinking back on them. 
the thread I wanted to pull on, or, or like the reason why I think focusing on cer- continuing focusing on your your great circulation routine is I think that's a standout routine which can just like do so much in terms of driving your lesson. And I think there's stuff which we could do to make that feedback even more efficient and allow you to basically do it more quickly, get around more students, make sure you get around your entire class in the time, or maybe even get around them all in a quicker time. So before we, we, I kind of share my idea for like what might be a good focus, like this isn't the, you know, I'm not saying we definitely need to go down this road, but would you be happy to focus on like, uh, like trimming or making your circulation routine more efficient? Is this, is this an area that you'd be keen to work on? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I mean, the, the interesting thing is like, there's, so, there's an infinite number of things I could work on in the lesson, right? And it's like, none is like the ultimate best thing I can focus on. And so like you've identified to me, you've identified something that you think will make my lesson better that I will be able to achieve. And so I'm just to that. I'm like, sounds great. Please tell me what it is. Sweet. All right. Well, let's focus on that. So we're talking about your circulation routine. We're talking about the way you give one-on-one feedback and we're trying, and we're talking about specifically try to build your feedback efficiency, which is like everything you say to those students is like really, really directed to helping them to make their work better without any excess. And I think we can do that in, in like, but I think because you're like, you've come, you know, you're already doing loads of this, this is going to be a, a step potential change with three parts in it. One is about pre-planning the most likely feedback for each question, which I think is something that you kind of already do, right? The most likely feedback. Oh yeah. So I do it live while I'm going around. Yeah. Not before the lesson. That's right. Sure, sure. So I think that one th- t- tweak we can do to make it like if you go into the lesson knowing that students are likely to get the labeling wrong, it's like having some idea before you go into that of the most efficient thing you can say to the students. That's the first part. The second part is about really trimming away excess language. And then the third part is basically starting your feedback with like an imperative verb to make sure that students know exactly what they have to do with it. Something like check that, look again at, or rewrite. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. So I'm going to read back that step to you. I'll share my screen so you can have a look at it. Perfect. So the step's called feedback efficiency, and it's make your feedback hyper-efficient by pre-planning the most likely feedback for each question, trimming away excess language, and starting feedback with an imperative verb to signal that students must do something after the feedback. For example, check, look again, rewrite. And what we're doing when we work on this is we're really going to focus on three specific things. We're going to focus on like the speed of your feedback. We're going to focus on like the hyper clarity of your feedback. And we're going to focus on that feedback being like incredibly actionable in the sense that students always know a specific thing they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So before we discuss that, can I show you a couple of models? So I'm going to show you a model of uh, a maths le- two maths lessons, in fact. Mm-hmm. And again, what I want you to focus on is the speed, efficiency, clarity, and actionability of the feedback that these teachers are giving as they circulate. Dear listeners, this first video was from the StepLab platform and included an example of one teacher, Lisa, circulating efficiently throughout her classroom. We'll make this video available in the show notes. Okay. My question there is about speed and action, what's particularly speed as a focus in there. What did you notice? It was quick. I didn't feel like it was much quicker than me. Maybe it was, but I am confused. 
because one of the things before you said you thought was effective about my feedback was I was pushing the thinking back onto them. But in that video, Lisa wasn't doing that as much. Lisa was more saying, well, it was much more direct. It was like, you've got a negative and a negative. What does that make that? And like mm-hmm. the mistakes is negative or positive. So they're just going to change their answer, right? That's what, whatever they didn't have already. And then the next thing, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she essentially t- just told the student how to do it. So yeah, I'm a bit confused about that. So I think, I think like you're right, like a, a real strength of the way you did it with, I think clearly like a class that, are, you know, pretty clued up was that you're able to push the thinking back on them, as I think in Lisa's class in this context, like she is required to be a little bit more directive. I feel like, so that's like, so that's in terms of your way of doing it as opposed to hers, like I think you're significantly, like the way you push the thinking back on students is basically stronger. But I felt like basically that you were saying the same thing to students, but in a slightly different way to every student. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that you could have basically like, made yours significantly more you could have basically done the same feedback but in about half the time by aiming to make what you're saying more precise and quicker which is i think what makes lisa's able to be like i think she's probably about 50 percent quicker with every student okay that's basically i feel like that that's the kind of like difference in between them like it's not that one is like better or worse than another one i think that it's like what i think the strength of yours is pushing thinking onto students but I think the strength of hers is that she's mashing around her class real, real quick. I wanted to show you one more. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. So this is a, this is a Teach Like a Champion video. The second video is also available in the show notes. So again, my question there is basically like, in comparison to yours, what are the similarities? What are the differences? He definitely was doing what you were suggesting, which is saying the same thing more, providing the same feedback more. Because I was providing most of those bits of feedback I gave was all on the same question. I'm wondering to what extent I was kind of tailoring each response to each student based upon what I thought they knew. Like some students, because I can actually, when you read it out, I could actually picture them and I could, I remember the students, I said those things too. The first couple I thought they wouldn't be able to remember unless I directed them to their notes. And some of the later ones I thought they would be able to remember if I just said, what did I say about that? I can't remember exactly what I said. But, but yeah, I see that. He was, quick, he was quicker. Um, I'm, I guess I'm wondering um, how many questions he was checking. I think I was checking seven questions on each mm-hmm. student's sheet and it's a two-sided sheet as well. So that has, that's going to take longer as well. The bit that I'm most interested in at the moment is the start feedback with, with an imperative word, verb, should I say. And I think that that's probably the bit about this step that I'm most stimulated by at this point in time. Sweet. Yeah, well, let's, let's focus on that part of it then. I can also try to be quicker, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the thing that the, re- like, the, the reason why I'm pulling this thread is because like in the specific, like, again, like, I've only seen one 30-minute clip of your teaching, right? In the specific clip that we watched, like a, a big thing that jumped out is you got around what looked to me to be about half the class. Mm-hmm. So I was looking for ways for you to be more efficient with that feedback. But you're right, like for, for me, like if we look at a comment like, can you get back into your notes and have a look at this one? Mm-hmm. Like it does kind of direct them what to do, but what it doesn't do is tell them how they're going to improve their work based on it. Whereas if you were like, look at your notes, redo this question. You gave that piece of feedback, look at your notes and, and, and fix it like five out of the nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So I think more precision about where they look or what they do and then what they do next will basically help with efficiency, but also will help with students doing something with it. Yep, 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 yep. Cool. Okay. Okay, got that. Should we have a go at embedding that? Sounds good. Okay, what I'm going to, probably the easiest thing for us to do is to, is to have a look at a quiz that you're using in the very near future, maybe with the same class, if that's possible. Do you have a quiz planned or do you have something that we can knock up? Yeah, so what I have is the set of four questions that are going to form the basis of the quiz for tomorrow and then I'll need to add a couple of additional questions. So that's the first one. Okay, cool. So, well, should we work through them one by one? You're going to have to support me with the maths here, Ollie. Yeah, sure. Because I am... Uh... I've got problems in that area. That's okay. Uh, so 49 divided by, oh my word. For, what, what's the answer to this question? Uh, negative seven. What's the most likely mistake they are going to make? Positive, I was like four, positive seven. I, I don't, yeah, but some of them will just like positive seven, yeah. Okay, so, so if that's the really, if they're either going to get, if they're really either going to get it right and you pretty much know of your class or they might select positive seven, let's just say, then what would be the, precise actionable feedback that you would give to a student that selected a positive seven let's script it mm -hmm. well this is funny because it's exactly the same question as lisa had right pretty much it's like what's a positive divided by a negative but maybe you can do a better job and than her in terms of like not making it so obvious how they're going to change their answer yeah so i, th I feel like i need clearer construct so i'm i'm trying to basically give them some feedback give them something to reflect on and then give them something to do with it yeah it's, it's a think and do right like in your piece of feedback fundamentally the thing can do was look back at your notes on labeling mm -hmm. redo the labeling <laughs> yeah 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 so you really what's the think going to be on this <laughs> consider the sign redo the question B consider the sign you mean whether it's a positive sign or a negative sign Okay, so where, so let's just say the student has that on the, in front of them. What might you point to or, or draw their attention to when you say consider the sign? The negative in front of the seven. Right, okay. So now frame that into the think part. Yeah, so consider the sign, redo the question. So I just circle it and ask them to redo the question. That's literally perfect. I would just say like circle, consider the sign, redo this question. Yeah. Okay, so we've got that one. That's good and I feel like that's better than what I would have said. Yeah. So what I would probably have said before here is like your answer's incorrect, do some working or like, but that's not good enough. Do some working. It's a bit better, but actually I think I could be, be do a better job than that. So I could just say you've made a mistake so that they know. Can I ask what's the most likely reason why this class will make a mistake on this question? Okay. So, oh, sorry for listeners, this, the question, we didn't read it out. The value of a, B minus C when a equals two, B equals negative four and C equals negative three is. So they have to take some values and substitute them in where the letters are. It's not a particularly difficult question. What the mistake they're going to make is that it's a, the, at the end, it says negative it will take away C and C itself is a negative. So they're not going to recognize that when you take away a negative, you actually have to add it. So that's the mistake that they're probably going to make. And what I should be training them to do instead of this is to um, write out the original equation, substitute in the values and solve. So again, I can circulate this. I can circle this. I can say rewrite the original expression, substitute in the values and solve. Beaut. 
Yeah, I can say that. And in terms of that think-and-do structure, that's pretty nice. Because <laughs> mm, you've got rewrite one. and substitute. That's the think. Mm-hmm. And, then, and solve. That's the do. That's good. Love it. Okay, so questions. We'll, do, we'll just do three, right? And then, and then we'll do a little bit of practice. Yeah. Okay. So these questions, sorry, for people. We've got a shape that looks like kind of a house from side on maybe. It's got like a, a rectangle, then a triangle stacked on top. It's like a sloped roof of a shed, let's put it that way. And it says the area of this composite shape can be found by calculating what? And so, yeah, the, the one here is students probably will just not do much working. Also, some of the students will struggle with, um, they'll forget the formula for a triangle basically, which I know because I got them to do some retrieval on it three lessons ago and 20% of the class couldn't remember what the formula for area of a triangle was, unfortunately. So this one, it would be something along the lines of, well, I, I probably need to write like area total equals area rectangle plus area triangle as an expression to start them off because the, the total area is the area of a rectangle plus the area of a triangle. So I could write like A T O T equals A and I draw a picture of a rectangle plus A and I draw a tri- picture of a triangle. And then I say, write the formulas for rectangles and triangles, then complete. I don't know. It's, it's a bit a bit of a trickier one because it's it, there's quite a few steps to it. And for the students who are struggling already, it's like it's a fair bit for them. Mm-hmm. Because it may be that they're falling down on knowing the formula for a triangle and maybe they're falling down on knowing the formula for a rectangle. Yeah. So, so if like there's almost a diagnostic that's required in this, like it's like what's the formula for the area of a triangle? Well, there's a number of questions. It's like what – this is a composite shape. What shapes is it made up of? A rectangle and a triangle. They have to be able to see that. Some students won't see that straight away. Well, this is super useful. Yeah. Yeah. What's the what's the form of the area of a rectangle? What's the form of the area of a triangle? What do you have to do to find the total atom together? Like there's like four steps there, right? And then they have to not make a numerical area in between. Okay, so I'm just getting these down. Because it feels like you've get you've got you've come at the to the answer. And each one of them you've you've listed the think component. So you're asking them a simple question. What two shapes is this made up of? What's the formula for the area of a rectangle? What's the formula for the area of the triangle? Something about adding the two formulas together to get the total area. Maybe like how would you set up the equation for the total area? It would be a good question. Okay, so how, yeah, lovely. And then you're just going to be like, great, do this again. (laughs) Yeah. Redo this. Not going to be far, but yeah. Uh, yeah no not super fast but i think if you have these planned out on your packet and your on your sheet as you're going around mm-hmm. you'll be able to be like oh they've made this mistake or they've made this mistake and i think that'll be you know it won't be super fast but it feels like this is quite a key question for them to be getting right or wrong or at least you can learn a lot the thing is i won't necessarily be able to see what they're getting wrong because a lot of them won't have done the working right they'll just shade in a, shade in a circle okay in which case maybe all you want to say is do this again with the working and then try and get back round to see those students. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll try that. Yeah, which is kind of one of the, one of the main ones you did. You said, uh, workings, workings. You said, I can't confirm this is right until you do some workings. So it feels like the, the, the way to make that comment more precise and actionable is repeat this with the working. I'll be back to check. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so we have three plans. Now, Ollie, in if we were doing feedback, I haven't done very much coaching over video. Um, but if we were doing feedback together, at this point, I would make I would ask you to do some further practice, either by repeating this 
with another quiz or I'd have you practice the circulation in your classroom. Yeah, okay. But actually, while just for the sake of this, I'm just going to ask you to look at it for each question to read out your feedback as if I'm a student that got that wrong. And let's just make them as speedy, clear and actionable as we possibly can. So give me your feedback for the first question. I think it was check the sign and redo the question. Boom. And I circle it. That works well for me. And the second one? Rewrite the expression, substitute the values and solve. I love that one. And the third one? Most likely it's just going to be that first one, which is um, do it again showing you're working. I'll be back to check. Yeah, man. And just thinking about like a comparison between those and can you get back into your notes and have a look at this one? Like I feel like these are improvements because why do you think they're better? Yeah, I mean it's it's what the step says it's going to be, right? More, It's more efficient. Where do I write this step down? Where is that step? It's here. I didn't write it down. Usually we'd be sitting next to each other and I could have a look at it. Mm-hmm. So we're talking basically about feedback efficiency through trimming away excess language and starting your feedback with clear imperative verbs. Yep. So it's definitely trimmed back. It's more efficient. I can see how I can get see more students' examples. And I also see how it will be clearer to them what to do. Like listening back to my, my previous ones, it's, it, there is actually a level of ambiguity in there for sure. Okay, cool. So final thing is like, how are you going to remember? Is it tomorrow that you're teaching this class? Yeah, I'll be making the quiz from those questions tomorrow, literally. So I will, be, I will remember this. And will you put those little scripts? You know you are walking around with the quiz. Will you have those little scripts we just made on the quiz? I probably won't write them. I'll probably just recap them. I, I understand the principle now, which is like, tell them what to think about and tell them to do something with it essentially and say it in as few words as possible. And I was able to come up with those three scripts with well, the first two very quickly anyway. So I feel I can regenerate them anyway. Lovely, lovely. And will you be able to film that lesson tomorrow? Just for listeners' benefit, it's 10.20 p.m. and I have I moved houses <laughs> today and so I will need to find my camera and remember to take that. What I do need to do is I need to set an alarm on my phone so that I remember to take the camera in the morning and if I do that, then I should be able to film it. Oh, I may. You poor, poor soul. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do for you, Triple R listeners. But honestly, it's just fun. Okay, I will be able to record that tomorrow. All right, mate. That's that. That'll be great because I'm just. I, I like. I'm. I'm excited to see it in action. Yeah. Well, I guess that's kind of us done, Ollie. Probably, you know, not the most efficient in terms of time it took, mm-hmm. but I feel like we got into the detail of the modelling a little bit. Like, and I think it maybe was necessary to do that. Definitely. It also wasn't as quick because I was. I was difficult, Josh. I was difficult. I was hard to convince. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, no, and and the point is, you were hard to convince because your routine, your circulation routine is is already excellent. Like what we're talking about here is like real fine tuning and real perfecting, you know, like these marginal gains hopefully will make like, which are just marginal, like, but I think they will be like definite learning gains for your students like as well. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. Thanks, mate. That was fun. Let's, uh, let's debrief if that's okay. So it's probably hard for everyone to hold all this stuff, all, all everything in memory that just happened because it was a pretty, pretty full-on session. But something that you did at the start really well was specific praise. So tell, tell me, if you could, tell myself and listeners a little bit about the specific praise that you gave and the importance and the role of that. Sure. Well, I had a bit of a cheat, right? Because you'd emailed me and said that you were like really unhappy with the class's behavior. And I would, didn't, basically didn't agree. 
And, you know, I thought that, in fact, you handled a difficult situation with real skill. And I thought that it was important for me to really, like, draw that to your attention and draw the specific things you did well. So I planned a little... I planned a question there, which was like, I mean, I tried to recognize your what happened, which is that they were a bit disturbed by the camera, mm-hmm. but point out that within three minutes, you had them all completely silent, which is pretty impressive at the best of times, and point out what you did to do that, which is do it again, which were firm, but also positive and positive narration. And so I basically just, I planned those ideas, roughly how I wanted to get them out found a what you know i wanted to kind of it to be a natural thing so i you know we chatted a bit about your lesson about what the email you sent me but then i do you know that's what i wanted to do is, is indicate to you that the thing that you were concerned about you had been doing really skillfully and then what i also did there is plan a question which like the idea behind it is to ask you to kind of really own that so my question was how have you been able to build such a strong culture and routine around the, the quiz at the start of your lesson I wanted basically to, for it to be an opportunity for you to celebrate all the great work you've been doing on that. So that's the kind of planning I did there pre the conversation. Mm. That's really good. And for another step behind behind the curtain, listeners, Josh is not just coaching me on my teaching at the moment. He is also coaching me on my coaching. So I've been sending him videos of me coaching people and he's telling me how to do a better job. And the first action step you've given me, Josh, is to give more specific praise. So I, I, I knew and I had the idea that it was important to praise at the start of a coaching session and valuable to kind of build that relationship and also acknowledge the expertise of the, the coachee. But I was like reeling off this shopping list of great things. Oh, this was great. And that was great. And this other thing was great. And you were like, well, hold on. You're kind of dominating the conversation here. Step back, pick one thing that was really good and then have them talk a little bit about it. And I did that the next lesson in the next session. And I found it was really much more powerful and gave also better insight into what the person was thinking and the level of kind of metacognition about what they were doing effectively. So that was awesome. The next thing I thought was interesting in that session was, um, so this is a bit of te- bit of terminology that I'm hoping catches on. Josh, we'll see if it does. To me, the trickiest portion of a coaching conversation is when is the transition from that everything's hunky dory thing to like maybe there's something here that we can work on, or maybe there's something that could be improved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I'm calling that the bid because essentially you're putting something out there and you're hoping the other person is gonna is gonna come to the table with you. Right, and they're going to match you, and, and you're going to be able to move forwards together. And I think that um, the way you did the bid in that session was you you just said, "Tell me about circulation, your circulation." And I, I actually kind of hinted it. I was like, "Well, I'm not not really sure what you mean. Tell me about, it, but I'll just tell you about it, I guess." Right? And I was being a bit cheeky there, um, <laughs> but because I knew the structure of the coaching conversation you were going to take me on, even though the bid that you made didn't sound at all like that was what we were going to work on or something. I kind of knew that because I knew the pattern, but someone else wouldn't necessarily know that. But even though I did know the pattern, I still didn't feel intimidated by that or scared by it because I was like, okay, he just wants me to tell him about that thing. Tell me about, (laughs) if you would, that, that bid that you made and why you did it in the way that you did. Sure. Yeah. So actually I probably put the most of my planning into the, into, I love the bid by the way. That's good, good, good terminology. It's definitely going to be adopted by me. So I, I put most of my planning and thinking into that. Mm-hmm. So I'd like done some pretty careful evidence gathering. Like I, I really felt when I was watching the lesson that like the almost the lowest hanging fruit, but also like I'm always attracted by like taking a great routine and making it even better when I coach someone. 
like I'm always attracted by that because I think it's like such an it's such an easy sell to people and like it's not like oh let me fix your terrible teaching <laughs> you know it's like let's work together to make your great teaching even more great and like that that's kind of what I think is great about coaching. That's why I was attracted to like working on that specific area. Yeah, and bu- building on that, I think I think that's sorry to cut you off. I think that's really powerful in a, in a school context as well, right? Because what are you doing? You're not kind of making everyone average at everything. You're building these like star players at like these skills. So like if you work with me for six months on circulation, circulation, and I'm already like pretty decent at it. Like suddenly I'm a superstar at circulation. And if anyone else in the whole school wants to work on circulation, you're like go watch early circulate i'd probably after the first 10 minutes my lessons are going to be rubbish at which point you can be like oh you know hannah hannah's mini whiteboard we use is just so snappy you know she picks the best questions she holds the students to account blah 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 go see hannah for that and so you're building these like superstars in these areas and that can really elevate practice so that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah i mean i think about it in exactly the same way so I, I did like written down i just took some, i'd basically written down everything you said every single piece of feedback you gave and like I had a hypothesis, my hypothesis was that like students didn't always 100% know what to do when they had that feedback. And that also like you weren't able to get around to everyone because it wasn't quite as efficient as it could be. But I didn't want to like, if I'd have just started and been like, right, you said this, 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 and this, and this, and this is what I think. Firstly, like that's quite jarring. Like it's quite a jarring to go from like the introduction of the conversation where we kind of meet each other and I say, what's great about your teaching into straight away that can feel like a bit like a jar a bit jarring a bit almost a bit like an attack sometimes so we don't want to do that i also don't want to just force you to think stuff when i don't know what you do think so what i try to do is go as like as non-specific as possible with with the first question the first bid question that i ask and then but i also like it's it's worth me reading out the, all of the questions that i planned most of which i didn't ask there so like the question I did ask was tell me about your circulation routine during the do now and your answer to that got into like why you do it you do it because it's diagnostic you do it because you can get give feedback you do it because it usually gives you a direction of like reteaching travel to go on later in the lesson and like all of those things like you know I think are accurate and I agree with so I didn't feel the need to kind of like dig into some of the key ideas around circulation there but if you'd answer differently maybe I would so it's me being diagnostic. But then the other thing is I planned some more specific questions just in case I didn't, that didn't go right. Do you want to read them out just so we know? Sure. So I said, tell me about your circulation routine during the do now. I asked that question. What's the purpose of circulating? I didn't ask that question because you answered it without me asking you. Did you get around every student? I did ask. I didn't know whether you were going to be like, oh, you know what? I didn't get around to everyone. I didn't know how much of your lesson you remembered. Like it, it could have been a while ago. So I ended up asking that one. What sort of errors were you seeing? You answered that for me in your explanation. I couldn't remember actually. So you re- you reread. That was actually when you reread exactly what I said as a prompt for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then what sort of feedback were you giving? I didn't ask because I decided to go into like sharing some evidence with you at that point. And then I also planned like you didn't get around to every student. Why not? And I was, if I needed to be like most directive, that was the kind of like my my most directive bid, which I also didn't need to use. Sorry, we froze for a moment there. Yeah. So what I what I heard was you said I also planned. You didn't get. It sounded like you you were going to say you didn't get to every student or something like that. Yeah. So I had I had like I I had like a most directive mm-hmm. question, 
which is you didn't get round to every student, why not? And usually I plan that as a kind of like emergency, let's just cut to the chase and be more direct. But again, like, it's kind of like, um, I don't know what you think, whatever you think of it, like a pyramid, like a, a reverse pyramid. Like I have a pretty general question at the top. Mm-hmm. I'm making a pyramid shape with my hands, listeners, which you obviously can't see. You're, you're, I, I feel like you're the, you're the first guest who's actually picked up the kind of comments I make to to help out listeners and and taking it upon yourself to explain it. So good on you, Josh. Well done. Um, yeah, it's it's my part of my my uh, you know I'm going to muscle you out of this and it's going to be me leading it. Right? So, okay, yeah, I better watch out for my my job. So, listeners, like I'm making a reverse pyramid shape with my fingers. It's wide at the top. I ask a pretty wide question. But then I plan some more, increasingly more narrow questions as we go down. I may ask some of them. I may, I, maybe that I ask a question, I get like tons of detail and we can get straight into like talking about change from there. But I think I like planning lots if I'm trying to do a good coaching conversation, because then I can kind of look at my notes and think where, how I want to take the conversation. Mm. I hope that's like, is that clear, Oli? No, that's really helpful. I, th- there is one thing I was wondering uh, is in relation to this bit and this like tell me about, right? If you are working with a teacher who expects to hear something, expects this to be a negative experience, right? Hopefully we never have to do that because people volunteer and everyone's keen. Yeah. The question, tell me about blah, 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 can act to me can sound like a trap. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think there's the potential like – if the culture of the conversation is not right, or if the teacher's been trapped before, which like I'm not in the business of doing, right? So hopefully people would learn pretty quickly that, that wouldn't happen. But I agree. The second thing, the, the, another one I use is like, I noticed, tell me about. Mm-hmm. But again, like I think that could also be considered as a trap as well. You know, if, I guess like anything can be a trap if people are, if that's the experience people have had. Like, I, I'm keen though, like, I wouldn't say I've nailed this part of the conversation by any means. Like, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on like a better, like like a better avenue for a, a better route for the bid. Yeah, it's interesting. Look, I mean, the only, I think the, the only real th- insight I have into that comes from Vivian Robinson and her open to learning conversations framework. And that's essentially presenting the I noticed as a hypothesis, not as a fact. So it's like, I feel like I, I saw something in the lesson that uh, potentially could could be improved. Like I'm not 100% sure about this, but it's it's just what I noticed. I'd really love, love your thoughts on it as well. What I saw when you were doing the circulation was you seemed um, from where I was sitting anyway to get to about seven out of the 13 students or whatever the numbers were, 13 out of the 20 students or so. I don't know how to end that, but something along those lines, you know, and you may use that. And and I, I know what you're saying. I, I really felt the same when you were saying like the part that you planned in the most detail was your bid because it's what I've been doing as well recently in my coaching sessions because I've recognized that is like the most fragile and dangerous part of the conversation. So I literally have been scripting that bid and being really careful about it and and trying to use this open to learning kind of a phraseology, I guess. And it's gone well the last couple of times. But yeah, that's the only insight I have, which which may or may not be an insight. I think it is an insight. And I really like that as a question. So like my hypothesis is that like you could be even more efficient. My hypothesis is you didn't get to everyone 
and students didn't always know what they were doing because sometimes your language was a bit inefficient. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe wouldn't phrase it exactly like that. Yeah, I may be wrong, but I feel like there may be a way you can improve your feedback even more so students are a little bit clearer about what to do with it. Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so actually, I think that that move has a place a little bit closer to agreeing on a precise change. So, like, the other purpose of a tell me about is that it's, it's really, I think it's quite mental models exposing. Yes, it's diagnostic, yep. Right, like, I want to know when I'm, co- I want to know what, what your mental model is around why you circulate, what's it for. And I do need to ask a quite, I mean, there's an open question as to whether there's a less trap feeling question, which does that job. I think that the, the going into my hypothesis, which I might be wrong about, closes that diagnostic thing off a bit because I'm offering a specific hypothesis before I know what the teacher really thinks. So I guess like, I think we're in agreement that like, there needs to be two stages here. Stage one is like, find out what the teacher thinks generally about what happened in their lesson and specifically like the area which you might be looking at. And then stage two is tentatively present a hypothesis and check that they're, they agree and are happy with it. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, cool. I guess I'm wondering if there's a way to make the step one less trappy as well and to include this like idea of open to learning, the open to learning ingredient within that as well. So I'm thinking something along the lines of um, something I'd love to talk about a little bit more is circulation. You know, I, I love using circulation in my class and I've got a few ideas about like what needs to happen for any teacher to make circulation effective and, and why circulation is important. But before I share, share my, my, my ideas, I'd really love to hear from you. What is it about, what do you do in your circulation and why do you think that's important? Mm, I really love that. And I, I think it does exactly the same thing, but I think it, 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 it feels a lot more open. And I'm just trying to put my finger on exactly what your moves are there. Like first of them is to be like, is to be really obviously humble so I'm really interested in circulation. I noticed that you circulated. Um, like I've got some ideas about like what, what I think it's for, but I'd love to know yours. And, and it feels like it's like I humbly suggest that this is something we should talk about. Are you up for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But also, or, or building on that, like you're kind of showing your hand. You're saying, I have something on this and, you know, I'm totally willing to share, but actually I really value you what you have to bring to the table here as well. So let's, can we start with that? It's not like there's, there's a hidden rubric that I have on my, in my inside pocket. I'm asking yeah. you to tell me about this thing and then I'm going to pull out the rubric and tell you how many of the boxes you ticked, right? Which is how the tell me about can feel a little bit sometimes, I feel. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. I really, I, I really like that. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to head into school and do a bit of tweaking in my kind of diagnostic planning to test those out from next week as well. So I, lo- I love those. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. So the most powerful thing for me, the moment that you um, really hooked me in in that coaching session was when you started actually reading out exactly what I'd said. Like that was just so powerful because it took me straight back into the lesson and it also made, it, it also showed me that there was real value to have, having you in my classroom. Basically, I was like, well, virtually anyway, I was like, wow, this guy's like helping me travel back in time essentially. And really, you know, home in on a couple of things that even if I watched the video myself, I wouldn't have been paying attention 
do exactly what I said in the same way that you did. And it was also encouraging to me that you were paying enough attention to write down exactly. I was like, wow, this guy's really done his homework, right? He's, he's really put, putting into this coaching session and it really made me kind of come to the table. So, I, I guess I wanted to a- acknowledge that and see if you want to add anything to it. No, I mean, like that's kind of what, you know, is put, putting your finger exactly on what the benefit of having a coach is, right? It's a kind of like dispassionate or like less emotionally involved than you, second pair of eyes that can see stuff, which as a teacher, you know, you're never going to be able to see. Like even when you rewatch footage of your own lesson, like you're so, you know, so much about the context that you're going to be seeing completely different stuff. Like you're going to be focusing on like all this, you know, who all the students are. Whereas I'm just like, right, forget about these guys, <laughs> you know, like, and, and I, so I'm able to be, you know, it was, you know, fundamentally a dispassionate dig into the evidence, which I think is just super helpful. And then my take and your take paired together is how we build, how we build a way forward. Mm-hmm. It was great. So I will win my own coaching. I'm going to be trying to be a bit more sp- explicit like that. And you, you, you may also remember in the session, I'm sure Mark's happy for me to use his name. The first session when I sent you a video of myself coaching Mark, he said in that reflection, it was when you pointed out those two boys who talked to each other when I turned my back that I thought, oh, okay, maybe there's something I can take from this session. So it seems like in both of those conversations, this like real concrete recording is really important. Oh, absolutely. Like the like co- concrete uh, evidence gathering, but also making sure that, because I, I might have, I wrote down quite a lot of other stuff. Like I had another avenue that I might have wanted to pursue, which was on, on your means of participation when you actually got into the teaching. At, but like, what I tend to do is after I gather loads of evidence, I try to think about like, what's my, I call it like the pivotal piece of evidence. Like what for me is like the piece of evidence around which the rest of this conversation should swing. And I like to make sure that I like really stamp that piece of evidence in my notes. And I like to make sure that like, that is the real focus of my bid questioning. So it's like, here. so here's all my evidence. This is the pivotal piece. And then I go back and start thinking about my bid questions. And I start thinking about planning my bid questions to kind of like revolve around the pivotal piece of evidence. Yeah, that's really interesting because in any lesson, like, like I said myself when you were coaching me then, there's an infinite number of things I could be working on, right? And so you're using as a factor in selecting the step, the evidence that you have. Which, I mean, sounds stupidly obvious because it's like, of course, you're going to base this step on the thing you have the most evidence for because that's the thing you're most sure about, right? But often that's not how we base it, what we base our decisions on. It's like, oh, I I know more about means of participation than I do on circulation. So, I'm going to give some advice on means of participation because that's my comfort zone, right, as a coach or, or, you know, the school priorities, whatever, or some, some other factor. But actually, that's a really powerful idea for me. Thanks for sharing that. So, like... The part of the conversation that I feel... So, you've seen me coach for real, right? Yeah, 100%. Many times. And I really am keen on extended planning and rehearsal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we did some good planning. Right? We looked at a real lesson which you're going to be teaching in the future. And we f- framed our planning to make this difference. We framed it around 
you know, a real lesson so that you'll know tomorrow you're actually going to be able to, you know, this change is almost tailor-made for you because we planned it around a real question. But the bit I was unhappy about is we didn't really get a chance to do a rehearsal. And it's partially because we're online. And it's also partially because the nature of this step, like you circulating, is pretty hard to rehearse in any real way. And also because really what we're doing is something related to planning. And I wasn't even sure whether we needed to do a rehearsal rehearsal as such. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on like that aspect and what you thought about the rehearsal and what we could have done better to make it more useful for you. Great question. Yeah, I probably, um, oh, I, I think it would have been valuable to even make me practice those three things like three more times. Just the three things I said, right? Because I even started a bit and I even did the the classic thing in between, which is like, oh, I'd probably say something along the lines of blah, 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 blah. So it could have just been nudging me to say, that was great. Let's really flip into character. Imagine there's three students in front of you and you just go bang, bang, bang with those three bits. Let's, let's do it again. Just turn up the intensity. You could have done that and I would have come along with you. Yeah, exa- exactly, man. And like that's that's the, the the fragility of rehearsal, right? Is that the fact that we're online and I'm feeling a bit bashful about it has made me, you know, I would normally I would never normally finish a coaching conversation without like really getting the rehearsal out and doing multiple rounds. But so I get, and you know, that's a, I think that's like an interesting insight for me as well. So in the past, when I've done circulating feet coaching with teachers, I've asked them to collect their whole class's set of books in. And we go to their classroom and lay the books out on every seat as if their students sit there, as if, as it's because you don't need the kids there. You just need their book to do circulating practice. So like, that's how we could have made that practice like extra, extra contextually authentic is just getting the quizzes from their books, laying them around your classroom and then having you really practice that feedback. But again, like, you know, because we're not in a classroom together, that's more difficult to do. Great. Two things on that. One, just to hark back to the, the like really emphasizing the practice thing. It's funny how people quit after like one practice as well. Quit. I'm using that in a bit of an emotive sense because actually the practice is often like the quickest part of the conversation, right? Like, so once something's been planned, like doing it again, it's going to take like 30 seconds or less. You can actually do it like five times in two and a half minutes it's one of those things that often people like because like effort wise or like vulnerability wise it's quite high but time wise but but that cost reduces over time as people get used to it and becomes more fun right but time wise it's such a small investment for such a big bang for your buck so i just wanted to reinforce what you were saying about the importance of that and also really encourage people out there practicing just to really hammer that home the other thing on that circulation practice, that sounds like a great way to do it. I was wondering if that's a method you'd use more so on the like if someone's kind of fail, failed or like struggled to achieve that step after an initial session and they obviously need a little bit more preparation and practice and drill to get there because it's quite high, like, you know, high organisation. Yeah. There's a lot of prep that's going to do like, I would, I would agree, you know, I am a pretty big fan of like, I like the term rehearsal better than practice. And the reason why is because I'm a pretty big fan of like teachers rehearsing real lessons for lots of reasons. Like I think in reality, once we get into the, you know, we can do loads of stuff in like uh, the lab environment like this or like teacher feedback where we're sat together in an empty classroom. But like making it as close as possible to the actual lesson 
and the actual environment and then doing like a rehearsal, a run through of that bit of, of that teaching episode. Like even if it's just like five minutes of a real lesson, I have found like with me personally receiving coaching as well as giving it, I just think it makes teachers' lives so much easier because it's like you suddenly get to a part of your lesson. You're like, God, I know exactly what I'm doing here, <laughs> right? Like I did this yesterday. And that allows teachers, teachers have more mental space and they can teach that part of the lesson more effectively. So I, I do try and like, you know, which you saw when you watched me give feedback in London, like I do try to like really have the moment at the end of the coaching where we're like, right, you know, get your PowerPoint up or get the resource up. We're going to go back a little bit. This is the moment you're going to teach from action. And I'll have the teacher run that part of the lesson quite a few times. And I think like, it helps me and people to think about it as like reframing the idea of practice with just like, let's just run that part of your lesson a few times and make sure it's super slick. So that's why I would be keen to go to make it as realistic as possible. Obviously, the idea of collecting loads of student work and all the planning that has to go into that is like, you're right, it might not just not happen. I was a bit resistant in that coaching session, right? I wasn't the easiest person to coach. And I was, it's because I was a little bit skeptical. And I think this is a skepticism that a lot of people have around this type of coaching, which is like, oh, yeah, I guess I could try to be a bit faster, but like, is that that much better? And then, you know, yeah, I see Lisa gave some feedback there, but was that really better than my feedback, right? So, it's like, I could invest some time and effort into this thing, but yeah, maybe it's not worth it. So, first of all, I would be interested about how you kind of felt in that part of the coaching session. And if you were like, oh, crap, we're recording this and this is going horrendously or like how, how you felt because I definitely felt like the coaching session wasn't going that well at that time. Um, but, you know, I wasn't going to pretend it was a hungry dory. We were just It was sort of fully a like legitimate coaching session, so I was being who I am within it. And the other thing was I think that what changed it around – well, actually, I'll leave that up to you um, and, and then I can add something if you wanted to talk about what you, what you think was the, the pivotal moment when I came back on board. So I definitely didn't feel like – it was going perfectly at that point. Like some of them are just so smooth and you just like, you get from bid to the step and everyone's on board. And like, I didn't feel like this was one of those times. It doesn't always need to be, right? Like, in fact, it almost shouldn't be. The thing I think I did wrong, and this again is like, you know, in, in reality, like I haven't coached you before. I think that like the step I planned wasn't exactly, exactly perfect. Like you weren't sold on the need to pre-plan most likely feedback and really but it's because I don't know you as a teacher particularly well is that you're able to do that in your head which we got to at the end so I did I could have done away with that and I don't think you loved that idea and I don't think you were fully sold on the need to trim away excess language which I felt like was reasonably important but actually like you know um, I think we got there ultimately through a better route I think the thing which really sold you was the idea of, and actually to say another thing was, I don't think the Lisa example model was perfect. Like I think the Denarius Fraser model was better because I think that like the actionability of that feedback really came through. And I think it was through that that we, we were able to get to the idea of the, the, the bit of the step that I planned, which you were excited by, which was like m do everything possible to make it super actionable. That's my perception is, of, of it. I'm keen to see like whether your take and mine match. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think I think what I when I did get sold, it was when I started to understand like the kind of the why behind it, which was like being really concrete about 
what students are meant to do next. And the moment when I realized that was when we actually went back to, after watching the Denarius example, if I've said his name correctly, when you then went back to mine and read out again that evidence, like what I'd said, which was like the super ambiguous, like check, you go have a, have a look in your book basically, which sounds like take a walk down the garden path, like level of specificity. What, what did I say? It was like, go take a look in your book or something like that. And it was like, what, okay. Oh, what you said, yeah. yeah. You, you, so, your one which I think we put to, is like, can you get back into your notes and have a look at this one? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, what the heck is that supposed to mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and so, interestingly, like I planned, I planned like a gap analysis and what I wanted to, and I didn't end up asking it fully, but what I wanted to get out of it was like that there's a massive similarity between you and Denarius. And the massive similarity is like the quality of the thinking, planning and understanding that went into prepping to be able to circulate like that. You had that in common, right? It was clear that your mental model of the maths and the fact that you had it all prepped and his were identical. And, what I wanted, and then I had like, what are the differences being like the actionability and precision of the feedback? And I think I probably could have just done a more skill. In reality, like I was thinking at the time, like I didn't do a skillful enough job. Because, it's, you know, this is hard stuff, right? You know, you know, you don't always get your coaching session exactly perfect. But I think I didn't do a, a skillful enough job in bringing you to seeing the, like, the, both the similarities and the differences between you and Denarius in a way that, like, was really concrete for you. Mm. I think you implicitly did it by showing me the Denarius example. And then after that, you, you, basically after Denarius one, I think you said something like, what did he say? Or you got me to reflect on it. You got me to reflect on the actionability. And then you contrasted that t- by reading out what I'd said. And it was at that time that I was able to go, oh, wow, okay, I can see that what I'm saying like was completely like non-actionable or like really unclear. And then I was like, okay, please, Josh, show me how to make that better. Like I was, I was ready for it then, right? I was, so, I was so ready. So, yeah, it was just it was interesting how we came to that. But, we, you know, we got there. But it's powerful. It shows it shows the power of like actually having a quality model and also the power of that evidence. Yeah, for sure. I'm I, so I think we're going to do this again and I want this might be quite interesting like as it comes out in the podcast is that I'm keen basically to do a better bid and that means do the open to learning style bid questions and maybe also use the model to make the purpose of the change hyper clear in a slightly more skillful way. That's my first thing I want to do better when we coach again. And the second thing I want to do better is I want, I want to basically do more rehearsal because basically I copped out. So, so I'm excited to do it again. The following coaching conversation occurred a week after our first coaching call. If you're interested in the coaching approach that Josh is taking me through and you're keen to learn more, Make sure you go to ollilovell.com forward slash coach for upcoming opportunities, including the StepLab Instructional Coaching Intensive coming up in early 2023. I hope you enjoy coaching conversation number two. Ollie, I really, really enjoyed watching you at work. Thanks so much for, for sharing those clips, man. So we were focusing on your circulation routine and kind of last week, we picked that as like a key area of your practice, which is already like really, really great that we were going to focus on kind of making even better. And specifically, we were looking at the efficiency of your feedback, kind of a little bit on pre-planning feedback, but more we agreed on 
trimming away excess language and even more importantly starting feedback to students with like an imperative do this so that they were acting it how do you think kind of like that went in the in the lesson that i watched uh, this morning i think it's going better like i'm basically to to boil it down like in my head the thing that's changed is it's like be clear about what you want the students to do right so don't just say have a think about or have a think about or you know something like that it's like do this thing, take this, think about this thing or refer to this thing, then do this thing. And I'd say I've, I thought about that really, you know, precisely in the lesson follow, d- directly following our coaching session. And I like to the extent of like I'd actually scripted what I was going to say, even though last coaching session I said, oh, I should be able to make it up on the spot. When I was preparing for the lesson, I thought, oh, actually, I'm just going to write it down. And so on my feedback sheet I had in red I don't I think I sent that through to you, you might may have seen it like my script and I was literally carrying it with me and like referring to it I don't know if the, in the video you saw me like basically reading it which helped and then I've I've I have also focused on it in lessons since so I had a lesson today I had a have a, had another couple of lessons since our last chat um so I think it's I think it's helpful I'm enjoying it I think it's making my teaching better full stop <laughs> end of sentence I mean, yeah, like the, the interesting thing about planning it is that I would have the same instinct as you, right? I mean, like, I don't need to do that. I've been teaching for years. But then when I do, I always give more precise feedback. So like, I want to shout you out a little bit more. So we were talking like the, the actionability of feedback. These are some things you said. This is bid mass. Redo this using bid mass, <laughs> right? You need to do the, bracket, the brackets first. Do it again. It should, I mean, I don't know what cat go, go, go is. I'm intrigued by that. But you said <laughs> it should look like this. C-A-T-G-O-G-O-G-O. Have another crack. Write it like that. Like, so for me, it feels like those are so much more actionable than, than the way you were giving feedback when I watched you last week. Like, just to boil it down, how do you think, how does changing this phrase, even these simple tweaks, like how does it help students to learn more? Well, it... It tells them what to do, right? It like I think I think I was already raising their awareness, but perhaps in a way that that they were like, "Oh, that's interesting," and then kind of we just continue with the next question or something. But now it's like, "Oh, that's interesting," and now I need to put it into practice. So it's just probably con- helping consolidate what I'm actually trying to communicate to them. Yeah, cool. So. I want to focus, continually focus on that circulation routine. Like, as I said, I think it's a really interesting part of the lesson and I think it's a really high value part of the lesson and I think it's worth continuing to look at it. So I was really interested in a specific moment in the lesson and what I've done is I've shared, rather than me talking you through it, I, I thought we might just watch it together. This video was a short clip from my own classroom, which Josh was using to prompt me to reflect on a particular portion of my lesson. We're unfortunately not able to share this video in the show notes for student privacy reasons. All right. All right. I mean, what a beautiful bit of modeling. (laughs) Like super clear. Thank you. Like seriously clear. I mean, I was able to learn from that and I don't, and I'm, I'm like mathematically incompetent. So I liked it. But so I want to ask, why did you choose to redo that question up on the board? Because lots of students got it incorrect. Okay. Like, do you remember, I mean, I know it was, it was like a while back, but do you remember roughly how many? 
I'd say at least 60%. It's probably 65 of the class. Okay, so, and then you did that super clear model. How do you know that students, like, internalized or learned from that model, from your clear model there? I think, I don't know if the video cut out, but I gave them a similar question, I believe. Okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that. Okay, let me look. Did the video cut out? Uh, I can't remember. Okay. It looked to me that you you went on, that you'd moved on to a second piece of feedback after that. I may well have done that. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I get the mini whiteboards out. Cool. Let me have a quick look. That would be in the second bit. Oh no, that that was actually that was the redo. So I had modelled before that because that was that was a student's example whose mini whiteboard I I used. So I had modelled before that Mm -hmm. so that was before oh no you can see it it's at the start at the start of the video i model it and then i'm circulating again looking for a student example and then i do the show call yeah 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 you do the show call right and so so hang on because it might have been difficult for me to see that it was on video so what you're saying is just help me help me understand so you basically they'd got it wrong You'd explained it, they'd had another go, and then you were show calling. A, yeah, a they had a go with another similar question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, right, right. And so, what you were, so when you show called, it was like to celebrate the fact that the students' work that you'd shown had like really clearly followed the process. That's right, yeah. And like, and what was the purpose of the show call? Like, what did you want other students to take from it? They'd all done the same task, right? Yeah. What did you want them to take from it? I wanted them to find out if they actually got it right and I wanted them to see that a student could do working as clearly as what I had modelled and I wanted to also acknowledge that that particular student because I thought they'd done a good job. Nice. Okay. Yeah, beaut. Um, so I have a hypothesis that that aim, which I like completely agree is <laughs> exactly the reason why you should model the show call there, that that aim, like, to help other students check that they follow the process just as clearly as this really successful student that you show called it done. My hypothesis is that you can make that even clearer, like, really help to achieve that aim through basically doing something quite similar to the step we set last week, but after a show call. And rather than me telling you about that, um, I would, what I've done is I've, I've found a selection of maths teachers from a teach like a champion video that are doing something similar um i think lamov calls it like own and track anyway what i'd like you to do and this is this this is the vimeo that i sent you now there's loads of stuff we can completely ignore about those videos right all the hyper clicking like ignore i want you to focus when you watch the video specifically on the little tweak the teacher makes following the model and then we're going to talk about that. Okay. All right. So I'm going to watch it too. All right. I'm going to go on mute and then just give me a shout when you're ready. Perfect. Cool. All right. Go on, mate. Oh, I just, I just really like enjoy watching these videos. They're just, yeah, just same, great mate. seeing good practice. You know, it's, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, same. I absolutely like, yeah. So we're talking here, right, about the tiniest, tiniest tweak. So and my hypothesis is that a tiny tweak will make like a, a manifest difference. But I guess the question is like, what tweak do you, do you think that like w- that we see in these videos, which I guess like you could apply in what you did? Yeah. So it's, it's like after the feedback, then get them to modify what they've done already 
to be in line with with the model. An interesting difference that I gathered was that in my class they were working on mini whiteboards for that activity, whereas the other groups were working like in their notes. So it was about like getting a good example in your notes, which makes a lot more sense. I can't well, it makes more sense. But I don't know about a lot more sense. So I guess that's a question for me. What's what does this mean in the mini whiteboard context? But I see I see the. Uh, the similarity it's like and it's not going to take long it's like five seconds to make your example look exactly like the one we just saw go yeah or even just like tick like the, i've modeled the four clear steps you need to do to get in the question you did it's like i've shown you the four clear steps you need to take to get this answer perfect have you done them check each one off go right and like even just anything which just holds them a little bit mentally accountable so 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 here's the step as i wrote it I'm departing from Lamov language and going to call it stamp it because I like the idea of kind of students, you know, like they've learned something new and then they're going to stamp it in their own mind and in their own work. And I'm saying follow up reteaching by directing students to check or improve their work. Uh, and then the model I'd give is basically check your own question, make sure you got every part right, improve anything you got wrong, you've got 15 seconds, go. So that's, that's kind of how, what I thought would be the, like, the tweak that you could make which would make that, that show call even more effective. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Sweet. Okay. So what I wanted to do, I'm going to share screen real quick and talk you through the criteria, and then we're going to go ahead and plan it into your next lesson. So I've got four kind of criteria here, which I think probably matter. One is about, I mean, the, the, something that I noticed about the language in each one of the way the teachers were doing it is that it was kind of like really warmly put. I kind of noticed like academic phrasing. It's like we're doing this because it's about us learning even more or making our work even better. Just like last time, it's kind of about actionability. Like it always tells them to write, check, tick off, note. And then I wondered about adding a little bit, which I didn't see a bit of a positive narration. Like once they do it, so you like, you know, you go like, okay, so everyone, I want you to check through the four points in your own answer. You've got 15 seconds, go. I can see three students already doing it. Half half the class. Yeah, great. That, that's the kind of thing I thought we could work on. So what we might do now, just about around this criteria. So I guess before we go in planet into your next lesson, looking at this, and thinking about the, the way that you did that remodel, the reteach, could you just script for me what you would say or ask students to do at the end of that, which would be an example of getting students to stamp it? Yeah, sure. And also just for listeners, so what Josh is sharing right now is the, the action step on the Step Lab platform, which is he's calling stamp it. Or, you know, it also says circulating, responding and reteaching whole class feedback. That's the heading. And then the technique is stamp it. And then we've got the four criteria that Josh just talked through, which I'm going to keep in mind while I'm scripting it. Be warm, phrase academically, make actionable and positively narrate. Okay. So I've just taken the student's sample. I've gone through it and I've kind of ticked that he followed the bid mass structure, the mathematical structure. And then rather than just saying, great job, student name, that's an excellent example. That's the moment where actually instead I'm saying something like, we've just seen an excellent example of how a mathematician sets out their work. You now have 20 seconds to modify your work to make sure it looks just as rigorous as student names. Bosh, what I really saw there 
with like lovely, like beautiful warmth in the sense of, you know, you're like really praising the work, the student whose work you shared. And then I love how you brought in like make it just as rigorous, which just sudden made it feel so much more academic. It felt really actionable because you told them exactly what to do. I wonder if we could add, like, let's say you say, like, I feel like it needs a little bit more of like a really punchy start. And then I want a little couple of positive narrations when you see students start getting their pens moving. So let's, should we run the whole thing again? Yeah, sure. So I think I said something like, we've just seen a fantastic example from, I'm going to call the student Harry, just so I don't have to say student name. We've just seen a really excellent example from Harry about how to, how a mathematician sets out their work for a bid mass question. You now have 20 seconds to make your work look just as rigorous as Harry's and go. I can see that Frank is editing his work. I can see Luca is on it. Sam's working really hard. Five seconds to go. Three, two, and one. Beaut. And that, that, yeah, I think that like, that's just going to push it forward in like, so one other little tweak there is, uh, is like, so specifically you're asking students basically to check off the bib mass steps. So I wonder if you could tweak your positive narration to remind them that actually what they're trying to do is check off all the bib mass steps, so as well as just like put, shouting out students who are writing, they maybe will forget that what they're trying to do is literally check off four, four specific steps. So I wonder if you could tweak your shout out to be like, oh, the first thing that I can see that Harry is doing as he's checked for brackets and then blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think like that would help to push it, make it even more actionable. So can we tweak that a little bit more and then go over and we're going to run the whole routine one more time, but focusing on like actionable positive narration at the end of the routine. That's good. Good advice. Okay. I'm just going to make up some names and write them down because the cognitive load of trying to make up names that aren't names of students who are in my class is just absolutely doing my head in. So I'm going to just write three names. I do also for listeners teach in an all boys school. So that's why they're all boys names. We've just seen a fantastic example from Harry how about how a mathematician sets out his bid mass work. You now have 20 seconds to follow the steps like Harry did and make your work just as rigorous. Go. I can see that Sam's checked off his brackets and indices. Frank's working on the multiplication and division. Justin's catching up as well on the brackets and indices. 10 seconds. Three, two, and one. Love it, mate. That was great. That was great. So what we've just done is we've like rehearsed kind of like getting the grammar of that thing into our mind. What I think it would be good to do is think is like just do a little bit of planning of that in the context of your next lesson as well. So have you got your next for the class, your next, uh, do you call, what do you call that quiz at the start? Do you just call it a quiz? I just call it a starter. A starter. Have you got your next starter to hand or can you pull something up which is likely to be your next yeah, starter? Yeah, something some that's close enough, yep. All right, and then from that, can you choose, I mean, all we want really is one, like the question that that they're most likely to get wrong or the question they're most likely to like incorrectly follow steps or the question you're most likely to do a show call on, just out, just from the top of your head, really. I'm just going to go to Google and find a frequency table because that's all we need. There we go. What we're doing is we're designing the same kind of starter question that students struggled with when I first observed you, which was five lessons ago. 
you are, and it's a very and it's a nice like pro, map processy question. You're going to design the question for your starter, and then you're also going to design a likely good quality student model, which you can show call and then do the reteach about before you stamp it and get students to make some changes and or check off their work. So step one is that you're going to turn this into a question. Yep, which is construct histogram for the following table of data. Lovely. And then you're going to create a likely good quality model. Like, let pick a student that's probably going to get it right and do it as they would do it. Yeah. And then you're going to do the reteach. Well, basically, you're going to draw their attention to the to the to the things they did well in their in the process, I guess, in this one. So can we, like, because I don't know the, the, the subject content particularly well, can you take me through some sub-bullet points there? Um, what Ollie's doing is he's literally scripting the process he would follow. So can you take me through the, some sub-bullet points? Like, what is it that a good student's work would do to do this correctly? Okay, so there'll be um, X and Y axis titles. There'll be y-axis markers there will be all bars touching and x-axis labels between bars using base ranges on the number column that's here so for example we've got the there are two students who have between 70 and 79 i don't know what what they're going to be going to show my age here and say like size of pokemon card collection <laughs> yes okay so there's two students with 70 to 79 pokemon cards i don't know i'll probably choose something more relevant before tomorrow but let's assume we go let's go with that so yeah that's what they need to do so i'll pick one student's work and i'll say we've done a bit of practice on histograms gentlemen but there's still a few of us who really just need to refine this i've got Harry's example here and there's four things that Harry's done that make this an excellent histogram. First, he's got X and Y axis titles. You can see his Y axis title is frequency and his X axis title is number of Pokemon cards owned. Uh, he's got the Y axis markers and as you can see, uh, they go from zero to 80 in this case. All bars are touching and his X axis labels are between the bars and lots of us are making that mistake putting but in the middle of the bars, but remember between the bars and we're using the base of each of these numbers. I would, at that point, because I've said a lot, at that point I would probably say, are there any questions about this model? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, my feeling before you move on, like, so super warm, super academic, uh, we haven't got the actionable bit yet, but before we do, that you, there is a lot of information there. It feels manifestly a lot harder to keep in your mind. My feeling would be that it might be worth making it actionable between all of the success criteria of the good model rather than waiting at the end because bid mass is a lot easier and it's an acronym that they already have in their mind. You know, so I wonder if we can go back and you can do like, this is the first thing, actionable prompt, this is the second thing and have like 10 seconds okay. between each. Would yeah, that that's work? Great. That's much better. That's much tighter. Okay. All right, let's go again. Great idea, Josh. Don't know where you came up with that one, but it's a good one. All right, gentlemen, Ice Fords, thank you. We're just going to go through, we'll start off by going through example number or question number five on histograms.
something we've struggled with a little bit. So we're just tuning in to Harry's example, which is a fantastic example of how a mathematician will set up a histogram correctly. I'm going to show you the parts of this histogram that are excellent, and I'm going to give you 10 seconds after each bit to make yours look exactly the same. First thing that Harry's done, which is excellent, is he's got X and Y axis titles. If you don't have them, 10 seconds to add them in, go. You can see Sam's adding his title in on the Y axis. Thank you. The next thing we've got is Y axis markers. And you can see that Harry's go from the bottom of the scale here to the top. If you haven't got Y axis markers, put them in now, 10 seconds, go. Five, four, Frank's completed his markers, two and one. Next thing is all bars are touching. If your bars aren't touching, like Harry's are, make them touch, go. Frank's again widening his bars to make them touch. Good idea, Frank. Three, two, and one. And the final thing is we've got x-axis labels and they're between the bars. If yours are not between the bars, I want you to make them between the bars. In 10 seconds, go. Justin's using his rubber. Good thinking, Justin, to move his markers. Three, two, one. One. Great. Now step back and have a look at your histogram and have a think about how it looks and how it's different from how it looked before. Give yourself a little pat on the back. That's exactly what a histogram should look like. Okay. Question six. That's it. So, I mean, that was manifestly really great. A great bit, like a, a great bit of teaching. I loved how at first you really signpost, if you use one pithy, neat sentence to signpost the whole process. I'm going to take you through the criteria and we're going to be taking 10 seconds for each criteria to make sure our work looks just like this one. Just suddenly students are just exactly clear about how the next minute of their lives is going to go. It felt super tight way of framing that activity. And then I also loved like the warm ending, like make it into a hole again, step back, pat yourself on the back. Is there anything you could do at, as well as step back? Is there anything you could do to make them think harder I love the step back thing. I think that's a neat tweet. Could they do a, some kind of like praise themselves, tick off the four? I don't know what, I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure, but could they do something even more for the final step to like go through the whole process in their mind? Yeah. It could be like, think about what you changed and give yourself a tick for each thing that you updated on your graph. And then you just take them through all four, right? Yep. Well, let's run that, that let's just run that last bit. So you're going to go from Ollie's, Nice pat on the back bit, and then you're going to actionableize that bit as well. All right, all right. All right, let's step back and just have a look at the whole histogram now. And I want you to give yourself a tick for each of these things that you changed. Did you add X and Y axis titles? Tick them if you did. Did you add Y axis markers, or do you have them? Tick if you did. Are all your bars touching? Give yourself a tick if they're all touching now. And x-axis labels need to sit between the bars like this model. Give yourself another tick. Great job, team. Can you talk me through how you feel that will go when you go live and maybe why you think it will be is a worth, something that's worth trying out? Well, I, I'm excited, Josh, because this is, you know, it's something that we have to do a lot, right? It's, I mean, whether it's a process or this is less less of a process it's more of a checklist for like make sure your histogram looks like histogram should and like as we identified it's a lot for students to deal with like there's a lot of info if it's not automatic and 
this is a routine that can be rolled out for this next lesson, but also any other lesson when I'm getting students to check that their work is accurate. And like, that's a lot. That's like frequently, right? So I'm excited because I feel like this is a new routine that I can add to my teacher toolbox that I'll be able to use into the future. And so I'm, I'm keen to nail it next lesson and in the next few lessons because that will help help to really embed it, I think, for myself. And um, yeah, should be good. Lovely. All right. Well, I'm excited to see it in action when we coach again next week. All right. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, mate. That was great. All right. Let's debrief. How did you feel that coaching session went? I think on balance, like I'm happy with it. The thing which I liked about, well, the thing which I think went well is that we did like two kinds of good quality rehearsal. Like we, we kind of rehearsed the scripting and we rehearsed as kind of like the grammar of that technique in, in, in a way that's like slightly decontextualized or in the context of your previous lesson. And I think that really helps to just, it's like more of the automus, you know, more to kind of try and automate that technique. But then we did a kind of much more contextually realistic rehearsal where we planned it into a next lesson and we really looked at, we, you know, that we really looked at your next, your next starter. And I think that's the kind of bit which is going to make, do the magic of helping you to actually make that change and make it stick because you're very likely to do it. You know, it's like, it's almost guaranteed to happen because that question's all planned out now. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't emphasize that enough. Like, and I, I saw you really emphasize it when I was over in the UK seeing you kind of train teachers like really talk about it's all about the next lesson um because it's so easy to just be like oh yeah you've got that or how would you do what you just did i can't remember if i said the same thing last time i probably did but in this session particularly that's when it really became real because suddenly there's stakes right when you when you're just rehearsing what has what has happened in the past there's no stakes because it's like oh yeah if i do that again in a year's time maybe i'll do that but when it's next lesson it's like oh okay this is going to happen i'm going to do this in the class like i better i better be practicing properly kind of a thing absolutely love that yeah i think and and i actually like i spent a while like searching those searching out the, the right model because so i think the, the the including a clip of you teaching was really useful Right. I don't know how you felt about watching, like, I didn't really have to do very much questioning or telling in that coaching at all, because I was like, you know, we watched the video of you. What did you, so can I ask you a question? When I, when we looked at the video of you doing that, the, the show called The Reteach, what did you take from it? I mean, I was just looking at the kids mainly, like trying to watch the, the, the boys and where, what they were doing and looking at. And I was actually quite surprised by the level of engagement because it's not always like that. You know, you've you've watched a few of my videos now. Like you probably saw me ask one kid to bring his head up off the desk or a couple of kids yeah, a couple of times, you know. So, but in that particular portion of the lesson, it was like they were quite engaged. And I saw one kid kind of giving himself like a pumping his fist a little bit that he'd got it right, which is really nice to see and not something that I saw when I was like working on the, um, the visualizer. So... Yeah, that was good. And then, I mean, you you didn't even kind of dissect or anything. You just went straight into the models, right? So it's like implicitly like what's the difference between what you did and what we just saw. And so it's kind of a way of nudging me towards seeing something that I could potentially do and how it could fit together without saying it but just by showing. Yeah, exactly, because I, I didn't I, – I don't really – like, you know, we talked last time about – Oh, you know, when you're, you know, the, I notice this and that and like, and then questions which kind of guide the thinking of the person you're coaching. 
but in this and you know it's not always possible to not to avoid that sometimes you just have to do it and it's and that you know that's a tough part of coaching you called it the bid last week right but like my my bid this week was really kind of easy because that there was a video of you absolutely nailing it but with one you know one thing that like felt like it could have been done at the end to make it really different and i managed to find a clip of teachers doing an almost identical routine to you but including that thing and so really it's kind of you know you show both of them and and then i just had to ask you this pretty simple question which is like what's the difference and why would it make your routine even better to add this which i planned out i know it just felt like you know i like it when coaching does flow in that kind of organic way it just it makes it it often feels it feels like right when there's no, you don't have to do a big persuasive piece like the answer is kind of manifestly ob- like true yeah no that's great and i think i think you use those videos very effectively i think one one thing that was interesting this week that was different from last week was you, you did use that language of hypothesis you were like my hypothesis which was you know i i assume um kind of prompted by a bit of a chat and reference to Vivian Robinson's work. I was wondering, because um, I know you're always thinking and reflecting, Josh, kind of what reflections have you had since last week or thoughts and uh, about that discussion about the bid and how to make it tentative or not? What are you thinking? Yeah, so I, I, went, I actually went away and, like, you know, I thought really hard about that. And the thing which jumped out at me is the importance of, like, to use the language which you shared with me and which I think is kind of Vivian Robinson language is the importance of, like, it be a conversation where both parties are, are displaying their openness to learn from each other. Like it doesn't mean that the coach can't share very, be very like very specific share ideas and say like, well, I think this needs to be different, but that the coach is also really open to kind of like seeing things and learning about it from the teacher's point of view. And I tried to inject that twice. The first thing I tried to do was like, when I shared the clip with you, I was like, just like, I was firstly, like, just to talk about how much I liked, I thought your circulation routine was really great. And like, and I just think that's important. Like what we're doing here is really zooming in on something which you're doing really well and like focusing together on making that like even better. And then I was just like, I was really interested in this clip. Can I ask you some questions about it so I can check that I really understood it? That was the first thing I tried to do when I scripted. And then my second was, we got to this place the kind of a sticky part of the bid which is where we kind of agree about the change and then I have to be like and this is the specific thing which I already thought of and that was the moment I was like well so it's my hypothesis that doing this really simple tweak will make a really big difference like I want to check what you think about that and again I just think it's even just the phrasing makes it seem makes it feel a lot more open. So, yeah, thank you for that feedback because I think it's going to make me a, a way better coach. Yeah, no, that's great. And and I thought your phrasing of like there's this one small tweak you can make that's going to have a big benefit like in terms of like motivational stuff and stuff that I've written about in this book, that, this book here, Tools for Teachers, that comes from like Harry's work and Pep's work. So I distilled, I distilled what they said into like this three-part model, which is like, show that it's easy, show that it's valuable and show that it's normal. Um, and you, you hit on two of them, easy and valuable. It's like a small tweak is easy. That's going to have a big impact. It's valuable, right? So just in one simple sentence, you kind of hit those two things on the head. And when you said that, I was like, oh, oh, I'm keen to do a small tweak that's going to be like 
really help this routine please tell me what it is like i was like i was super bored in and i really wanted to hear what you what you had to say so yeah it's interesting how that phrasing can kind of get straight in there yeah i think so like yeah it's exactly it's the, it's kind of the stuff from from i think peps's work about like the cost benefit analysis of change like all, all change has has a, a cost for a teacher because they have to focus on something or think hard about something or do something different but it's about like minimizing the cost and and maximizing the benefit like this is really only a small thing your routine is already great it's going to help us make it even better like and i think that that's a kind of yeah i mean it's a nice it's a nice way of of like you know framing change which i think is like yeah an a nice way of introducing next steps for teachers i would agree love it is there anything you do differently um if you were to do that that one again I think for me, the stickiest part was the potential, my potential misunderstanding of that moment in your lesson, because I, we, I, I read it as like, I thought I, I did get it a bit wrong. Like, you know, that happens, but like, it was like, I read it as like, this is the reteach, but actually what this was, was it, this was like the check after the reteach, but you know, like, you know, it was, it was, I wasn't, I was not sure there's too much I could have done to avoid it. But I think actually like being even more, uh, bringing in even more openness to learning and like probably like being clearer about my understanding of what's going on and then checking it with you more deliberately. Like in this clip, what I think is happening is, but uh, but because like, you know, <laughs> I'm not a mathematician and I'm watching this video from 6,000 miles away, uh, I'm one, not sure. Like, can you just talk me through this moment in your lesson? would probably have helped to kind of make that part flow a bit clearer. Yeah, that was a really interesting moment because um, the question you asked me that revealed the kind of misunderstanding about the watching the video or whatever it was, was like, how do you know they got that? Right, that's what you asked me. And then I was like, well, actually that was the check for understanding because I kind of saw through the question to like check for understanding. So therefore I was like, oh, he's probably planned a step around check for understanding. But And I was like, oh, this will be interesting. We'll see what Josh does here because he might have to think on his feet and come up with a new step or something. But it was quite interesting that the step you come up with worked even whether that was a check for understanding or whether it was the original exposition. So that that worked really, really well. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And for, it was like, but that, that felt the, the conversation felt like it flowed really nicely apart from that moment. Where I was like, yeah. Cause I was like, Ooh, maybe I've got, maybe I've just completely mistaken the lesson, but I think like, so more careful, more of a careful, like I would love from your point of view to understand, help me to situate this. I don't think you always need to use that as a coach, but I think in a situation where you're not 100% absolutely sure, like a question of the sort of like, help me to situate this, like what's going on here <laughs> would probably have been a useful way of kind of like making sure you can get around that anyway. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I guess in this case, because it didn't really matter, it's kind of like it didn't really matter, you know? No, it didn't really matter. Like, no, I w no, it didn't really matter. I mean, it would have mattered if I'd have, <laughs> if I, if I have chosen, if I'd have like put my finger on the wrong thing, but actually it was the right or a right change for you to make and so that that's helped that smooth over but yeah yeah and it's valuable how you say a right change because it's not you know there's no definitive best step for me to take next it's just about us finding something to, to move forward interesting probably the final thing I'll, it's i think it's interesting to 
comment on is like my kind of attitude or how I was in that session or just just in general like the, the dynamic in the session. I think probably because the first session went really well even though like we had some teething issues and it I, I know you felt it wasn't the you weren't like as happy with it as you'd like to be and so on it was actually a really good session because I came out of it with a really actionable step that I felt like would improve my teaching and I was actually able to do and then you were able to acknowledge today and so on and so forth so we'd we'd already put some like you know, and that's even despite the fact that, you know, we've we've had dinners together and, and hung out and gone for runs together and, like, you know, we're mates, right? It was still a bit of a hard sell that first session because I'm like, oh, yeah, what's this guy going to tell me I'm, I can do better, right? And so it's just really interesting that I felt like today the dynamic was warmer and easier and because, like, last time I was like, oh, wow, Josh like really gave me something that was valuable and I feel like it improved my teaching. Today I was even more like, okay, what's the next tip? Like I'm, I'm excited to find out and then you, you've, you've made another great suggestion. I'm like, oh, yeah, wouldn't have thought of that. That's great. And even within the practice when you were like, oh, break it down and get them to do the practice after each step, I was like, oh, wow, that is, that's a real game changer because there's a lot of processes like this or sets of criteria that I need students to follow and I can use this every time. So it's just nice how that that kind of builds. And I've, I've been finding that with my own coaching as well, with the people I've been working with. It's like it just gets easier and easier over time because you, you have wins and they're like, I'm actually getting better. And it's like that success is the best motivator kind of a kind of a message. And, you know, whether it's directive or dialogic or whatever it is, if the teacher's improving, that's the thing that's like, let's do more of this. So, yeah. I think so. Like it's a, there's a Thomas Gusky like has got this cool piece of research which talks about how really <laughs> the only thing which motivates teachers to engage in the PD process is that the PD process has previously been efficacious for them. Right? Like as soon as teachers see the benefit of something for them and their students, you don't. The set, there's no more need to do any more like motivational work. Like the buy-in's done. So I think it's about it is hard and like that's why I, I was quite nervous in the first like. You know, a first coaching session is quite is quite high value for a coach because you know that you've got like one meeting to bring that about. Like, you know, you've got to basically prove that the process and you are worthwhile and you've got and you don't have long to do it. And so like I was a bit stressed out last time and I did definitely go into this one, you know, feeling a bit more comfortable because also because I'd seen when I watched you do the circulation, I was like, gosh, that's so much better. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I, I'd felt like at least... So, aspects of it had had value for both of us and it meant we could both like relax into this meeting a little bit more that's great mate well thanks again and i'll i'll action that tomorrow and uh i think we're chatting i'm going on school camp for nine days but after that i think we've got a i'll try to i'll video it tomorrow and we'll catch up in another couple of weeks all right dude thanks so much mate for your time it's been a pleasure our final debrief conversation came several weeks following our second coaching chat due to a nine-day school camp that I went on, plus some issues that we had with audio connections during the filming process. But we finally got it all to work, and I hope you enjoy this final debrief. Josh, I sent you a seven-minute video and another 10-minute video of me kind of attempting to do not exactly the action step because I didn't have exactly the class kind of context for the action step. The only lesson I had left was the final lesson of the year, which was kind of exam feedback. But I tried to implement something that was in the spirit of the action step you'd set me, which was along the lines of in a multi-step 
kind of process, provide students with a step at a time, get them to do the implementation between and try to monitor um, what they were doing and also kind of frame it out. If I recall correctly, last time we were talking about framing it um, as kind of a, a real positive opportunity to improve your work, positively narrating kind of academic implementation and things like that so this isn't this isn't a coaching full coaching session this is just like a little bit of a little bit of a wrap-up to kind of bookend our couple of coaching cycles so yeah happy happy for to go in kind of any direction as a bit of a wrap-up sure well yeah i mean I, I i wanted to kind of think back to the work we'd done together i was i was kind of as i watched the clip i was reflecting on the very first clip that you sent me which which was my first experience of like coaching someone in real 2d you know it's like i was just i'd like basically i was sat at the back of your room just like i could see the back of a load of students heads so i watched that clip and i saw you do like it was it was at the start of your lesson during during your do now or whatever your starter task and i saw you basically do a, a pretty outstanding bit of like circulation which just so happens to be like one of my favorite techniques for gathering data and I was like oh man Ollie's really good at this I approached the whole of the coaching from like let's take this incredible like you know diamond routine and give it even more polish so basically I wanted to ask you about that like what's your sense of the work we did on that and about polishing up that routine like did you enjoy it and did you feel like that aspect of your teaching got better as a result of the work we did yeah I, I really enjoyed that because I mean, it's it kind of relates to what we were talking about last night when we were doing recording part A. It's like even if you are kind of an experienced teacher and you think you know what you're doing, a new set of eyes and a new perspective is often really, really helpful. So, yeah, I thought, I mean, I, I'd really worked on that circulation routine after I'd kind of seen you and seen some other teachers do it really well in the, when I was over in the UK. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is a great tool. I want to do this more in my own classroom. And I would worked on it. But there was obviously at least one part, definitely one part, but probably more other parts as well that I could work on, which was kind of how precise my feedback was and how directive it was. And I felt like there was a really positive change in my students when instead of just giving vague stuff like look at your notes or have a bit more of a think about that, I would actually say, this is your error take these actions, like look look at your notes from last lesson and re-attempt the question. Just that small tweak, I think, made them go, okay, I'll have a look at my notes from last lesson and I'll re-attempt the question instead of, okay, I'll just vaguely have a look at my notes. So, yeah, really appreciate that feedback and um, really enjoyed giving the crack. So, I think one of the things which is really interesting about the the little seven-minute clip which I watched this morning, like, you know, the, the wrap-up clip which you sent me just now, was actually that it wasn't, explicitly about the circulation routine so initially we were looking at you circulating you giving really explicit directive feedback as you circulate but then the second step we set was you notice a whole class error you do a bit of a reteach and then you give really explicit directive feedback to students post the reteach to have them improve their work those were like the two things we worked on but i think the thing which is interesting is this clip was not about either during your circulation routine or about, you know, having students act on feedback, but it was using some of like the key, you know, the key lessons from the feedback as it were. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's interesting, like transferring improvements to kind of like related domains. Yeah. So the lesson was exam feedback and at the school I'm working at, we 
are trying to get students to really identify what what they struggled with. So I actually just pull it up for my reference. But we've got an exam handback coaching booklet, and this has some really good questions in it. So it is box one is describe some easy things you did well. Box two, describe some hard things you did well. Box three, describe easy things where you didn't score well, kind of silly mistakes. And box four, describe hard things where you didn't score well, things you didn't didn't understand and need to kind of address your misconceptions. So, I mean, these are, these are great questions, but I guess the danger I saw with this is that students would do quite a superficial kind of reflection. And I thought I would really like to model exactly how I want them to fill this out and how I want them to reflect and to be really explicit about it. So what I did was I got one student's exam and I got them to go through it and mark questions that were easy they did well, questions that were easy they did poorly and that hard ones they did well, hard ones they did poorly. And that was like the first step. And I just said, just do that. Forget about this prompt sheet, which you've already you, you've because that already filled it out for other subjects. So that some of them were starting to kind of fill it out already. But I said, just don't fill it out for now because I want to make sure we do it really well. First, just go through your exam and, you know, categorize the questions. So that was the first step. And they came back and then I got them to, I modeled to entering it and then gave them a crack as well. And can you talk me through or us through how, because I can see that what you're doing there is like, yeah, you're taking a complex multi-step process where students are probably required to do some like pretty detailed thinking at each step. So like the first thing they require to do is go through their exam and like categorize the questions. Basically, like it's a four part categorization, right? It's like easy or hard and nailed it or very much didn't nail it. And then it's transferring that information to like this kind of analysis sheet for them to keep for later. And you broke that down into a multi-step process and you gave really explicit direct instructions at each stage along with a model so that students are like held to account to do do the hard thinking. And I'm interested in how that came out of the steps that we worked on together. Yeah, I mean, the way it came out was the way I interpreted, like the main lesson I took away from our second coaching session was if you're getting students to do something that involves a few steps to the point that if you give them all the steps at once, it's like unlikely they're going to be able to kind of hold it in working memory and they're going to get a bit confused. A valuable technique is to model one, model the first part of the step that they can manage, get them to do it, monitor success, and then model the next part and so on. And so I just transferred that and I said, well, I haven't got any like standard lessons yet to try this out in. But here, here comes an, another kind of multi-step thing that student, students are likely to get confused about. So I'll, I'll kind of use the same approach. Yeah. For sure. I think the, the really fascinating thing about this is, well, you know, for the listener, it's been about six weeks since we actually did that piece of coaching feedback. And I'll be honest and say that, like, I might have done a bit of forgetting in that time, but like it's flooding back now. But I think the really fascinating thing is how that learning for you has gone away from the kind of specific context, which like we were focusing on. But you've taken really like, I don't know, I'd call it the deep structure. Like the deep structure of the thing we worked on is break down, <laughs> break down process into small chunks to help students like manage cognitive load and hold them accountable. Make sure that anything you ask students to do is like explicit, direct, actionable and clear. But I, I think it's just really interesting that, that, that you've taken the deep structure and applied it in another domain or, or in another area of your teaching. And, and I think like I think there's probably loads of learning to be done related to that around 
how to be a really effective coach, which which would be, you know, I'm 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 basically keen to see what you think about that and whether what you whether you think there's stuff that a coach can do to help what you've done over the last six weeks kind of happen as part of the coaching conversation or as part of feedback. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I think I mean the first thing that comes to mind is it's it's exactly the same as kind of any transfer, right? Transfer is the ultimate goal of the kind of teaching. We don't want the students to be able to do the exact same maths problem that we taught them to do or that we modelled. We want them to do a similar problem or even better to apply it to a different domain. So it's the ultimate goal and the same in coaching. And my knowledge of the research on transfer is basically you just use prompts that start from more vague and get to more specific and you hope that people can first respond to the prompts but then over time become habitualized to the prompts such that they begin to ask themselves questions that are transfer prompts so that could you know i mean really simple things like you know where else could this be used or does this look like something you've seen before or you know we've worked on five different steps this this term or we worked on five different steps last term can you imagine whether any of them would be applicable here you know simple prompts like that and then you can get more and more specific you know we did a prompt about getting students to think hard in what other parts of your lesson do you are you trying to get students to think hard that you could use that strategy or that step so to, to me that's kind of heading down the right road and then hopefully over time if that becomes part of like structural part of the process the teacher starts to think oh is there something that I could transfer here as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so too. As part of the the research for the book, I did a lot of reading about adaptive expertise, which is like, you know, basically exactly that, like helping teachers to move beyond surface learning and be able to apply teaching techniques in a flexible way. Because ultimately, that's what an expert teacher needs to do. You know, the situations you encounter in the classroom aren't just like exactly as you rehearse in the in the coaching feedback meeting like they can differ in certain ways you want teachers to be able to take a technique and be like oh this also works here or aspects of it also work in this situation i think another interesting thing is like the focus on the 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 success criteria of a step as well as just the step like you're like well here's the action step as it as we're as we're looking at in this context but underpinning that the deep structure of this step are you know actionability clarity and something being broken down stepwise. And I think that the, one of the points of a focus on the criteria is that what it helps teachers to do is be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I focus on the criteria, but also asking questions about why the criteria matters. Like, why does it matter that feedback's really actionable here? Why does it matter that we stop here and get students to action rather than continue to the next bit? And I think what that does is, is exactly as you say, is over time teachers are developing a pretty powerful mental model about how to influence student learning, which ultimately leads to them being adaptive experts. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, we're, we, could, we could continue this coaching cycle and conversation forever, but, um, you know, we had a, we're probably up on the, the fourth hour of our collective podcast exploits. So it's getting rid of, te- you get, yeah, we've been, we've been thorough, put it that way. And I would love to kind of ask you what I could have improved in that lesson and blah, blah, blah. But, but let's, you know, let's, let's just, you you put, throwing your hands up and uh, yeah, that's, that's all good. So let's, let's kind of leave it there and just kind of open up a bit of a space for any kind of final reflections from either of us. Do you have any kind of final thoughts, reflections about our coaching together, this whole process or just any more kind of broad ending finishing ish comments um as we wrap up part b of each episode 74 
there's going to be two feedback meetings included in this, I think, maybe edited down somewhat. But I'll be honest and say that I found the first one really difficult as a coach. And it made me reflect on the importance of like the implicit social contract between coach and coachee. Like we've met before in like a mate, right? But at the same time, I'd never seen your teaching before. We never really explicitly discussed you know, what was going to be happening. And I realized in the first coaching conversation, which the feedback meeting, which like, you know, I think I found, I found quite difficult, like that I felt that that kind of perhaps a bit of that was actually missing. And which, which like probably more me than you led to me finding how to judge and position the feedback quite difficult. Whereas, you know, when I'm coaching someone in school, we've had loads of chats and like, set the agenda a little bit more, which I think makes the feedback, the first feedback conversation a little bit easier. That's my main reflection on it, to be honest. Yeah, cool. What What are some of the things you would usually do to set the agenda a little bit more prior to that first specific feedback meeting? For me, it's actually just like informal chats and making sure that you, that I come across as like really open, warm and non-threatening, which, you know, you saw me when you came to visit, do feedback to one of the trainee teachers that I was working with, whose name I won't mention. But I hadn't done any like really formal, like, oh, this is how we're going to work together stuff, like formal contracting. It's just not, ten, doesn't tend to be how I do it. But what I had done is just had loads of nice, friendly chats and, you know, talk a little bit about what the point of coaching is from, from, from my point of view and maybe also how I've experienced coaching as a, as a teacher in the past. And I think that kind of helps to, I don't know, for really me as a coach helps me to feel sure that when I'm going to go to the classroom, we're going to be on an, on an equal footing as it were. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm going to push back a little bit because I feel like we, we had kind of established a lot of that. Like we had, you know, we'd, I'd, I'd seen you coach people. You'd, you'd mock coached me at a PD that we, we ran together. We talked heaps about coaching we have have a pretty good relationship. So I feel like all that kind of informal relationship building was actually done. So could it have been something else? It could have been. And and I'm just trying to put my finger on why in the first feedback meeting, like I felt quite nervous, a little bit uncomfortable. And as a result, like my normal coaching style or my normal way of coaching didn't flow. Whereas I felt in the second conversation, I was, I was able to be a bit more natural. And I just, I was thinking this morning, I just wasn't, I was trying to put my finger on why that was. Probably just because I was doing a podcast with Ollie Lovell and it was freaking me out a little bit. Yeah, for ten, yeah. so I was thinking maybe two factors. One is like just being recorded and knowing that, you know, tens of thousands of people are going to listen to it, probably one. Always, always wanted to get the nerves going. And one, another one might be that just like I pushed back a bit. You know, I, I was just like, oh, something you said there doesn't make sense to me. Can you explain it more? And that seems to contradict with something you said earlier. And that might have been like, oh, I don't know if, if people usually do that or not. Or maybe it was that could be it. It also could have been that we haven't had a conversation with that dynamic before like and – you hadn't been established like as, I mean, you had been established as my coach because I asked you to coach me, but within some kind of like formal school structure or anything like that. I don't know. That, that was three hypotheses. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, probably a bit of all of it, you know, and my kind of, yeah, like, I mean, push, bit of pushback is like natural, normal. And I'd obviously like, I think it's better that it happens. You know, it, it depends on who you're coaching, right? Like if I'm coaching and 
an ITT, maybe pushback would be a bit more rare. Still very welcome. But if I'm coaching a more experienced teacher, I think that that should be a good and natural part of the process. I think my like ability to deal with it was probably like, as in to like to deal with it in a natural, normal, flowing way was probably like a, rendered a bit less effective because of like nerves and feeling like the situation was a bit new and abnormal. But uh, but anyway, yeah, like I, I just like basically I was reflecting on the comparison between meeting one and fee- feedback one and feedback two and how much kind of like more natural feedback to felt and i think actually you're you're right to say it's probably just we hadn't done it before re- like in this way and then we had we had and we were both used to, you know like a bit more settled on how it would go yeah yeah totally and i think it's also relates to i mean we talked a lot last night which was in, which we'll go into part a about the idea of like success is a thing that builds buy-in right and you know i've experienced this with my own coaches when using a more directive approach as well like the first session is always going to be the hardest because you have no runs on the board. Like they don't know if you as their coach can help them get better or if your suggestions are going to be any good. So in that first session, I was kind of there with my arms like metaphorically crossed being like, what's this guy going to say about my teaching and is he going to offer like a valid suggestion? And so when the first suggestion you made, I was a bit like, oh, not convinced yet you know, I, I pushed back and then it was, but you know, it was actually the process and the detail, your detailed observation notes where you were like, here are some things that you said and you read out like five things, five of my quotes for when I gave feedback. And I was like, oh, one, this guy's done his homework. So that's really impressive. And two, I mean, it comes back to those two, two things I mentioned last night. It's about being knowledgeable and truth seeking. So he's knowledgeable. He's done his homework. He actually knows exactly what I said. And two, his truth seeking is really trying to get to the bottom of, of what this this challenge is. And that was the moment of, the, of that first session where I was like, okay, this guy's basing it on something and maybe he's got a point and I'm, I'm keen to listen and give it a crack. And then, you know, in between session one and two, I did give it a crack and I had that visceral feeling, wow, my, my feedback's more clear and my students are, are learning more as a result of it. And so when, when we jumped into session two, I was like, oh, awesome. Like got some runs on the board. What's next? How do I get better, better still? Yeah, man. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, I guess from my perspective, reflections wise, it was just it was just awesome, awesome to work with you, Josh. It was great to see you know the rubber hit the road in another context. I've I've seen you coach a, a number of people now, and it was it was great to have it have it turned on me, and it just gave me even more confidence that the the style of coaching that you use can work with you know novices and like you said that, that graduate teacher who I've seen you do it with, uh, and graduate teachers who I've been working with this year, as well as you know people who have you know, written books about teaching and learning and run podcasts about them and things like that. And I, I do feel like I genuinely got better at my teaching through the process. Uh, it was a lot of fun and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to work with you. Oh, same to you, man. I, I really enjoyed it and learned a ton, absolutely loads as well, which was great. Josh Goodrich, thank you very much. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ERRR podcast with Josh Goodrich. If you're keen to learn more about instructional coaching, be sure to jump onto ollilovell.com forward slash coach for all upcoming instructional coaching opportunities. This includes the upcoming StepLab Instructional Coaching Intensive on March 6th, 2023. But if that date has already passed by the time you listen to this podcast, it's still worth checking out ollilovell.com forward slash coach for other opportunities that are sure to follow. If you're keen to never miss a podcast, blog post, or other exciting educational announcement, then jump onto ollilovell.com forward slash subscribe for my weekly summary of key takeaways on all things teaching and learning. 
Thanks for your time and listening today. Have a wonderful week. And until next time, keep learning. 